something outside. What is that? Radio. Good afternoon, Monster X Radio listeners. This is Gunnar Monson, as well as being the host of one of the hosts of Monster X Radio, the Bigfoot podcast without the BS. I am also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? You can go check it out at www.squatchcoffee.com. And uh, pick up a bag or two today. So with me today is Mr. Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? I'm doing great, Gunner. Uh, you know how I'm doing as we just got back from uh, our expedition up at the uh, up in the Olympics. So you know I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, great. It's a lot of fun, but it, yeah, you you do uh, burn the candle at both ends. It was uh, one of the OP's uh, public expeditions. Um, if you ever get a chance to go, uh, it's like I, said, I highly recommend uh, jumping on it. They sell out fast, um, and you learn a lot of valuable information besides going out in, into the field. Several um, fantastic presentations, including the one that uh, you did, Shane, on on uh, updating the nesting site. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And. Cliff Berrickman was there and, and did a presentation on uh, basically how he chooses uh, areas to go and look for Bigfoot. Uh, Cindy Cadell did a great presentation. Um, Barb Olvera did a, a presentation. David Ellis, and the list goes on and on. So, I mean, besides, if you, like you said, if you ever uh, want to go out and, and uh, Bigfoot with a great bunch of people and learn a bunch of stuff about the subject. Uh, look up the Olympic project online and uh, editions that, that come around. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, this. Uh, we do a lot of these these expeditions, uh, or have done a lot of these expeditions over the years. This uh, particular uh, Olympic project expedition is by far, you know, public expedition, by far my favorite, uh, with not, not just because of, of the... Uh, some of what we talked about and discussed, but because of the group that was there, we had people from Indiana, Ohio, Texas, uh, California, Washington, Oregon, um, and I'm sure I'm missing a few other states, but what a great group of people. Uh, they, they really wanted to get out and hike. They were really attentive, and uh, so what else? They, they really shared some cool stuff. I mean, one uh, of the cool things I find with these expeditions, you know, uh, it's as much about um, – sharing ideas as as listening and I, I learn a lot from the people that attend these events um 
uh, that, that have either are researchers or have ideas. Some of them um, have their backgrounds are in academia. They're, they're doctors, scientists, uh, veterinarians. Uh, and so I, there's a lot I can learn from them when they attend these events. And uh, this, this was definitely an, uh, by far my favorite uh, expedition that we've put on. Uh, and and the, the speakers were fantastic. Um, like you mentioned, uh, David Ellis gave a, another fantastic presentation on uh, audio and and the different aspects to to recording audio and how to analyze audio. Uh, obviously, you know David Ellis is known for his uh, his sonic visualizer looking at audio because uh, audio is one of the most ambiguous things you can record or uh, as we, that we include as evidence. And looking at audio, um, it's much clearer than listening because I can play I can record something and go, hey Gunner, I hear an owl. And you'll go, well, no, I, I hear I hear a grouse or something. And, and uh, yeah. well, at the end of the day, uh, we're stuck with, you know, you know, okay, well, that's your idea. That's mine. There we go. And, you know, but, you know, visually looking at it, looking at the different harmonics, the different signatures, comparing that to known signatures, uh, using the, um, the many resources out there, the Macaulay Library, which has, a, you know, the biggest database of, of animal sounds. Visually looking at stuff is just a game changer. I mean, you can roll in or out stuff. Uh, it's just that it's just that it's not that simple, but it is that simple. Um, and so uh, that, I love when David Ellis uh, shares some of his recordings and goes, "Okay, this is why I find this recording suspect," or uh, you know, and this is this is what I look for. You know, I I, I visually look at my own audio, but David uh, Ellis, hands down, is is far better at that than me, and he's um, got a lot more years on it. And so even though I'll analyze my audio, I'll always send it to him because he always seems to find something I didn't, or he'll have a better explanation than I do. So that was one of the cool well, presentations at, at, at the expedition. Yeah, and um, our, our good friend Larry has become very proficient at, uh, at analyzing audio as well. And, and it's, it's great when, you know, somebody – because you, you, you go out in the field and you put, you know, uh, a TAS camera – uh, any other audio recorders out there and collect, you know, you leave them up, you're out for a day or two and, and you collect, the, you know, you collect a lot of data. That's amazing how much um, the using sonic visualizer speeds up the process when you get familiar with it because you can actually watch for anomalies versus just sitting there and listening to, you know, uh, the, I know that initially when we started the Tillamook group, Larry was, actually sitting and listening to all those uh, recordings um, and and trying to pick out the nuggets. This way you can look at them and, and you get hits visually. And, and then you can actually uh, pass it on to someone like Dave uh, Ellis to have him look at it and, and compare. So get some, uh, and he might, you know, have something in his database that, that tells you that it's, it's something that's known or, yeah, but yeah. You say, like you say, ambiguous. It's uh, it's also the most passive way to kind of do research. You can put up a recorder, and and you know, obviously, uh, uh, if it, animals aren't that are vocalizing miles away, can't be aware that your recorder were, you know, some question as to uh, why we're not able to to uh, get good video on on uh, game camps. You know, that's a real stationary thing and, and it's a real needle in the haystack so yeah we'll uh 
we'll have to play on the show down the road here, uh, maybe next couple of weeks, some of the audio that we recorded up in the Olympics, because just at the last expedition in May, we got, I didn't hear it in person, but it was recorded via a parabolic dish with the mic set up. And uh, visually looking at it, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a ringer for, and most people are familiar, if you're in the Bigfoot world or familiar with Bigfoot sounds or possible recordings, the Ohio howl, recorded in Ohio, which is that long, oh, you know, really long yell. And so we got something really similar recorded up in the Olympics last expedition. I'll, I'll get it, I'll get it uploaded and, and played on the show down the road. But Dave, David was David Ellis was able to, you know, look at that and rule out, you know, rule out just about everything. So uh, that's you know, you can record something, but to visually look at it and note that the the characteristics and compare that to known things. So he's done this for me time and time again with uh, possible uh, chest slaps I've recorded in the woods and. Yeah, it sounds like a chest slap, but is it a chest slap? And you look at a gorilla chest slap, and it's they're almost uh, they're almost identical with a few different uh, variations, but very few, uh, and which I would expect because I don't think there's a a silverback out in the the Olympics, right. but uh, you know, very similar, and, and you wouldn't know that unless you looked at it visually, and so uh, it's pretty cool. And he shares stuff like that, and that's one of the things you're going to get uh, when you attend, you know, one of these events in the Olympics uh, is, is is someone's knowledge and experience and ideas uh, that are tried and tested and fantastic, such as David Ellison and whatnot. Uh, Cliff, like you were talking about, Cliff Berrickman also gave a fantastic presentation on, you know, uh, where he goes and why he goes to certain locations looking for, you know, looking for the subject, looking for Bigfoot. Yeah, and, and I, um, you know, even people that, that are been doing this a long time, and I'm, I've been researching Bigfoot for like 20 something years, you know, um, not as hardcore as some people, but, but pretty active at it. And I always learn something, uh, from listening to, to other investigators, you know, Cliff is very knowledgeable. He just spent, you know, how many years, uh, traveling the world to different locations and, and, uh, looking for Bigfoot and, and talking to witnesses and, and, uh, he has a lot of knowledge. He and plus the fact he's a giant Bigfoot nerd. So he, you know, <laughs> yes. he's not even when he wasn't on TV, he was out actually doing uh, Bigfoot. Was a very active Bigfoot researcher, and uh, it was fun yeah. to hang out with Clint. And, and we, you know, last night we we're all sitting around the Bigfoot bar, BSing at the end of the the event, and and uh, good times. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. He, got he, uh, he he obviously, you know, he's. Like you said, he's a, he's kind of a madman. I mean, so he's getting done with his expedition. He's going back down to his, his place in Portland, picking up the wife, and he's going back out. Uh, he's going back out to to the field. He's actually working on something really cool, and I can't really talk about it, but uh, it's some historical stuff, and he's working on that. But he's going right back out there, and he, you know, so he's just go go go, and he's the consummate uh, Bigfoot researcher. Uh, you know, and that's something I really appreciate. And when when Cliff talks, I always listen. I always listen. You know, and then, uh, you know, he also, uh, yesterday Cliff came up to me and uh, he, has, he brought a lot of his cast. You know, he likes to display his cast for, uh, that he's collected and obtained himself and track cast himself. And he'll, he'll play them out, you know, and they're from, you know, all around Washington, Oregon, California, and, and, and uh, the, the U.S. as well. But he, uh, has, he had a few I had not seen, which was really from the Olympics um, that I had not seen. 
Um, and what's really cool is a few of these casts were not too far away from this nesting area we're working on, which, uh, and I, I have these casts in my possession now, and he shared those with me, and he said, hey, I, you know, take these with you. And so uh, they're copies, but uh, fantastic. I was stoked. I was looking at them. I, you know, we just got in the door here, and I got them sitting in my truck, and I can't wait to do uh, – study these casts uh, you know there's a half in, half impression and then there's a couple more and so uh no i, I, I got to thank cliff a lot cliff bergman a lot for for uh, passing those on to me but he knows that i'm working on this nesting area and that uh this you know i mean if it is a sasquatch nest these could be the same individuals um putting down these these impressions so uh, that's pretty exciting and uh, now i got another little um piece possibly to the puzzle uh to add to our collective uh, you know all of, everything we're collecting so that's great. Well, one of the, I mean, if, if you missed this one, you missed a great opportunity to actually do some hands-on uh, forensic research because Cliff, I mean Cliff, Shane and uh, Derek went out this last week and and brought back some sections of two of the different nests. And uh, last night, one of the the things that that we did was uh, sift through these nests um, with, you know, at, with some instruction uh, and uh, look for, for hairs and um, not to be confused with DNA analysis. I mean, you're this, we're, this is hair analysis, which right. again, we, I, I uh, wanted to mention uh, Cindy Dosen's presentation. Um, Cindy Dosen analyzes hair. And she has some, let's say, the gold standard um, in her database of what is um, believed to be uh, associated with with Bigfoot. And there's some characteristics. And, and I got to sit and talk to Cindy on Friday for quite a while about I mean, what you actually um, – you can get a, a, a heck of a lot of information from a piece of hair uh, oh, man. talking about that one, some of the hair that I think actually you had sent in, Shane, that um, she was able to identify it as raccoon, and not only raccoon, but that it this raccoon had been met a premature death, that it didn't, that it was killed, not it didn't die naturally. And there's right. uh, a particular aspect on a piece of hair. Because you had mentioned that, and I like, ah, how did you do that? And, and coming to the, you know, going to the old P ex expeditions. You got to sit down and talk with folks that you, you know. Cliff was talking to people for for the last three days, just nonstop, just sharing and, and uh, people sharing information with him. And the, I mean, I if you, I just can't emphasize enough. If you get the opportunity and you are a Bigfoot uh, nerd, as I know that Shane is and I am as well, uh, get to an OP expedition, and uh, we hope to see you there. So it's pretty pretty. Uh, exciting stuff and, and it's just fun yeah. i mean you go out and yeah. actually and we had some interesting audio stuff possibly happen you know it you gotta again wait till till uh it, did it get caught on a recorder can you look yeah. at it visually i mean to me i don't i were even this even anything that's audio that you you vet it ends up in a the best that you get out of it is is uh uh, interesting because unless you see a Bigfoot, you know, do a vocalization or knock on a tree or whatever, those those things don't end up. It's not Bigfoot. It's it's uh, 
not explained by any other known animal. That's what. Right. That's how we end up categorizing it. And we right. And, it and we had, you know, we always start out these these expeditions. Uh, you know, you do have your introductions, blah blah blah. But then we get into survival, uh, backpack preparedness. And so, funny story here, real quick. Uh, I guess I think it's funny. We're, <laughs> we give it. We, we we give part of this this backpack preparedness is is teaching people how to fend off predators. Um, there's a lot of bear in this area and a lot of cougar. And I was uh, after after we, we all was said and done and we gave the class. I took a camp. We made a kind of a remote camp off the property that we own up there in the Olympics. So we get off the property, and I like to do these remote camps so people can get a little bit further out in the woods, a little bit uh, further out there, better chance of recording stuff, uh, just a, a nicer little bit atmosphere just off the property, get away from uh, some of the noise that some people want to camp uh, in the, on the property. On our, uh, we had gone out there earlier and, and um, set up our tents. I had everything all set up. Uh, we come back to uh, and do a couple uh, night hikes and stuff. As we're winding down, we all head back out to our remote camp spot. And on the way out there, somebody was shining a light on a hill uh, above a clear cut. And so I. There's something on the hill. There's something on the hill. Yeah, and it was a good ways up there. It was a good way. It was a ways up there. So I'm looking. I'm thinking, no, I think I'm, I'm what I. It had rained uh, that day, and I thought it was just uh, some uh, rain on some solal that was just reflecting back. And then he said, no, above that. And I look up, and sure enough, there's, there's two eyes, and it's on the tree line. So we're trying to therm. Uh, my therm, uh, the particular therm I had, uh, one of the eyes had, uh, it's not a monocular, so one of the eyes is acting a little funky. I could pick up something, but I was too far away. And so I, I, I decided, you know, um, and everybody had eyes on this thing. They could see it. It was obviously eyes. It was blinking. We could see it blinking. Uh, and so I decided, you know, one of the things that I, I get sick of is, oh, you know, there's something up on the hill, and, and, and you – you spend 20 minutes looking at it, and you never figure out what the heck it is. So I'm always going to be that guy that will go figure, or at least try to figure out what it is. And uh, I uh, I decided to go up this clear cut, and it's a steep incline, um, full of solal and and pines, and it's uh, you know all sorts of snags. I'm tripping and falling away up there. I'm keeping my eyes on this thing. I can see it. I'm getting closer and closer, and realize that these are fairly good sized eyes, and they're not on the tree. So whatever it is 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 on the ground. And it's watching me, and it would turn its head, and then it would look back at me, you know, turn its head, and you could see it blinking. Uh, I know <clears throat> you were there as well, we, and you guys could yeah. see it blinking, I believe. Yeah. Forward, um, definitely forward-facing eyes, eyes on the front definitely, of the Because, so. you know, uh, usually when you get in those scenarios, it's a deer or an elk or something, uh, you, know, you know, known. And part of the reason I went up the hill, too, was I figured if I get up this hill, this thing's going to get spooked, and it's going to take off, you know. So I'm getting up there, and I'm realizing it's not going anywhere. So I get, I get to a spot where I felt comfortable still, and I pick up a couple of rocks, and I toss at it, and then I yell at it. Uh, still nothing. It's not budging. Uh, I approach a little bit closer, and then I decided, okay, I probably shouldn't go any further. Uh, <laughs> I started, I had the feeling this is probably a bear. Uh, it's probably a bear. So I, I, I started hearing a little bit of movement off to my left, and decide, okay, well, it's time for you to go back down the mountain. I don't know what this is. I got close. It's big. It's not an elk. It's not a deer. Um, I wasn't thinking Sasquatch, quite honestly. I was thinking, uh, I know some of you guys down below thought cat, and there's a lot of cat up there, but by cat, I mean cougar um, and bear. So I decided this is probably a bear. I'm looking at this thing, and it's not moving, and I figured, okay, why? Usually a black bear won't stick around. It'll take off. There's either a kill 
if it is a black bear or a cub. And when I started hearing the movement off to my left, I decided it was probably a cub, and I needed to get down that hill. So I started backtracking. As I'm backtracking, this uh, uh, thing starts approaching me. Not fast. It's just coming down the hill. So I'm backing up. I'm backing up. I'm not turning my back on. I'm backing up. And then it peels off right. And so uh, that was, you know, I, then I, I head down the hill. I didn't see it. Uh, it took off. So um, you guys all got to witness, I think, it kind of coming down the hill, at least with its eyes. Yeah, and we could see it moving off to the right once. once uh, so I'm assuming that what it was, and there was more follow-up to it than that picture. And there was confirmation we did end up finding out what it was. What would you find out? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I did. I did get a glimpse of it. It, it, it was on all fours, and it looked, you know, it's kind of, you know, it looked either kind of a blacky brown or brown. I couldn't really tell. It was dark. Uh, but anyways, the next minute, morning um, uh, after we uh, got up and 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 went up, James Million uh, and I went back up, hiked all the way up that clear cut up to the the, part, the tree line and. And did discover, in fact, that we were dealing with a bear and a, and a cub. So it was definitely a sow and a cub. There was definitely a, a mama bear. You could, there was tracks, and you could see scratch marks. And the one thing about that area, which is weird this time of year, there's usually a lot of berries. Yeah. Uh, right now, there's not a whole lot of berries, but on that hill, there, there's there's berries. And so that was the first spot I saw uh, a high amount of berries. And so that's what that bear was doing in the, in the cub. They were sitting there just getting fat off of berries. Uh and so, yeah, it was definitely a bear, and I was semi-bluff charged, I'm sure. Um, and me backing up was a smart move. Uh, you know, you just got to know your limits. And so, yeah, uh, I thought that was funny because we just got done talking about how to to uh, fend off a bear if attacked or, you know. So it, it actually worked out really good. Man, but it was unintentional. Yeah. No Bigfoot, no Bigfoot, unfortunately. But like you said, Gunner, we did get some, some audio stuff going on. I really didn't hear anything being in, in the camp that we were in, but some of the others uh, at the base camp, um, our, our hub spot, definitely heard some stuff um, around the 11 o'clock hour and also the 2.30 and 3.30 hour, uh, some some yeah. long house that I know that I probably have recorded and some others. So that's going to be kind of cool to look at. Other than that, as far as, um, and this, this is not what these expeditions are about, uh, but if something happens and it's, it's, it's fantastic. But this was actually, you know, as far as... Uh, possible suspect things going on from, you know, out there. It was pretty quiet. There really wasn't a whole lot to pretty much if anything happened. Uh, it was audio. Uh, even though there was one guest that did, did say that they had something come up behind their tent and was messing with their tent. It actually freaked them out so bad they, they got a hold of Derek Randalls and he came up um, at, at, in the wee hours of the morning and uh, searched around and, and didn't see anything. But, um, uh, other than that, I don't recall anything else uh, real exciting happening as far as suspect activity. Uh, but there, like I said, there was some some recordings uh, that or some sounds heard, uh, especially yells that I think uh, are of interest. So yeah, um, but that was my bear story. <laughs> and it, and uh, it, it was interesting to watch the whole process because we also had a uh, a young man that was looking through a therm and and would have swore and he swore up and down that. What he saw was like a deer elk because he said it has a long neck, you know. And plus, uh, technology is not perfect for sure. And, and uh, the best, the the way that your process was the best way to determine what it was to get closer to it. And and when you described it when you came back down and and how big the eyes were and stuff. And and they were first of all they were forward facing, so it wasn't deer elk. You know, it was right. It, it was 
something that, you know, it was most likely bear, cougar, something that yeah. that has eyes on the front of its head. You know, Bigfoot has eyes on the front of its head, its head as well. But we never really thought it was Bigfoot. It was just was. It was a cool exercise. You know, it was a cool exercise. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and use the process of elimination. And right, yeah. What, so, one of the uh, things that was kind of, yeah, we were curious about is why it, why so you, the normal uh, behavior of a bear is when you you chart you make an aggressive um, action towards it, it'll take off, and that was what was kind of interesting. Is you know, as you determine the next day, is that it was because it had a cup, it wasn't going to take off, which is exactly yeah, yeah. what uh, the the guys talked about with, with the packs and, and dealing with predators is that, you know, that's a, a good reason to to carry a gun in the woods because uh, you run into a mama bear and uh, she wants to protect her babies. It's kind of all bets are off. You need to be able to protect yourself. Um mm-hmm. And, and there's a load of bear out there. I was yeah. quite shocked that we didn't get quite shocked we didn't get one in our camp. Uh, we yeah. I think actually probably pushed it out because they might have come down. But uh, yeah, you just gotta know your limits. You know, I you know obviously uh, um, had I gone up the hill, I probably would have been in trouble. So you just you know yeah. I recognize yeah. that uh, this is not something I'm going to mess with. And so yeah, you backtrack right. and, and you get out of there. Um, you know I uh, yeah. Anyways, it prob that was solved, and uh, that's you know. Um, I, I get tired of, of, of stories of, well, because, I mean, I know there's other organizations and groups out there in, that, that, will, that will talk about eye shine and they saw these eyes, and, um, uh, and, and, but that's all they're left with. You know, everybody saw them. And, and you know, it's, it, yeah, sure, you can get a good, fun experience and you can let me get left to wonder, you know, and, oh, we saw these eyes last night. And this, uh, it's not what the Lemon Project is about. It's not what I'm about. I'm going to try and figure out what it is so that we can roll it in or out. Um, but anyways, uh, that, that was a fun exercise and we had a great time at a remote camp. It did rain some, I know there was a few, uh, wet people <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, the, the area was really quiet and it was nice. So if any, we were to get any suspect ha- thing happen, we were going to hear it. We were going to hear it. Uh, but we really didn't hear anything. So, um, but I did want to, I did want to get back to, to the, uh, so I did do a presentation on, on these, these nests we're working on. And Derek Randalls and I uh, did, in fact, um, we went out with another fellow researcher uh, by the name of Bill, and we went out to um, we went to two different nest sites to collect samples so people could, uh, uh, you know, take, we could take it back to uh, to the you know Olympic area at our base camp and, and have people look at the hair, uh, the debris, the branches, and find hair. Um, as we were back. At the the largest nest discovered today. We were we were taking a sample from that nest, and uh, we're staying around there. When, and Derek and I are, are working on getting uh, samples from this nest uh, and whatnot. <clears throat> Bill uh, noticed above us. He said, "Hey, there's a there's a nest in this tree." And I said, "Yeah, right." And he said, "No, really, there's a nest in this tree." And so I get up and look up, and sure as I'll get out, there is a a large nest right above this uh nest on the ground and so um i was floored and i said hey derek there is another nest and that, that's the that's the key to this is this is the second tree nest discovered and it was just discovered and the only reason we didn't see it before was that, that this 
overhead canopy is thick, the, the needles are starting to, you know, kind of drop until it's a little bit clearer. We couldn't see the whole thing, but you could see a good portion of it, and we had never noticed it before. And so that's now two tree nests, and this one is even more significant because this one is directly above the, a large ground nest, and it's in in the middle, the middle part of the tree, the middle part of the canopy. It's not at the top of the canopy. It's not at the bottom. It's on some fairly large limbs, and uh, it's it's... It's just mind-boggling. Now we have two. And so one of the things we have not done today, and we, we're working on, we're going to do it, because people go, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Including myself, is we're going to get up in the tree, the both trees, and um, and, and take a look at them. We're going, to, we're going to take a look at these tree nests and see if they are the same construction as the ones on the ground. Are they made out of huckleberry? Um, are they, you know, shaped the same? Are they made the same? Is the huckleberry snapped? You know, are um, Another key thing about these tree nests that I noticed, uh, and one of the guests at the OP asked the question, and I didn't think to, to uh, include this in the presentation, but it was a great point. They asked, hey, you know, when I, when I see, you know, eagles' nests and other nests, there's always, you know, there's always scat stuff, you know, there's always uh, bird, you know, bird droppings down Poop. below. Yeah. Poop. There is, yeah, there is no bird, <laughs> yeah, there is no bird poop on the ground or on these trees, you know, and I've been around uh, a lot of eagles' nests lately. Um, going uh, looking for this uh, a missing person off the soul duck up in the Olympics, and there's a ton of eagles and there's tons of nests out there. There is eagle uh, poop everywhere. <laughs> I mean everywhere. So, and uh, so, um, I to me this is definitely not bird's nest. Given the area, given where these nests are placed, given the dark matter that these are made of, um, um, I don't think it's any other. I don't, you know, I don't think it's any other known uh, mammal bed. Bed, you, you know, it's not a porcupine, it's not a raccoon. Um, but once again, I, I can't say that stuff definitively because I haven't been up in the tree yet to look at the nest. But I think it's exciting that uh, that we got these the second nest yet now, not just one. So there's there's repeatability here, and that's what I'm all about is repeatability. You know, I hope to find more nests on another a whole another area uh, outside the area that we're working on. Uh, hopefully, they're newer set. But right now we're dealing with these, these 21 nests, and so uh, I thought it was exciting that we have this, this second tree nest. Um, but having said that, you know, we, given this presentation, it was an absolute blast, and I got such great feedback. Uh, you know, we, we, we set up um, a little kind of clinic, uh, it, basically giving people kind of an idea of, of how to kind of suit up and, and look at, uh, you know, um, trying to keep um, your DNA and everything else, your hair, off of the nest sample, so you're not pulling that out of there and um, and, and being fairly sterile, you know, sterile. And so they everybody masked up, hair netted up, uh, gloved up. Um, they had you know their own tweezers and magnifying glasses if needed, flashlights, and uh, collection kits. Uh, Shelly Cumington, Montana, she was with Cindy Dost and also did a fantastic presentation on her her uh, DNA kits, which we you know we have used to collect hairs from the nest, but. Uh, the guests were so enthusiastic. Um, there was, they didn't even want to stop uh, looking. And it was get, we were getting, uh, I don't know, we were pushing 11, 11.30 at night, and we wanted to start doing some of the night stuff, night ops, night investigations. Um, they uh, were gung-ho going, and they were trying to find as much hair as they could. And, and all, every single person that, uh, uh, that attempted to find hair that um, engaged uh, this, the process found hair. Um, some of it I definitely know. I could, I could, I knew it was uh, either a raccoon or an elk, um, or I'm sorry, deer. Um, 
and then some of it was the, the suspect hair that I've been looking for, which is consistent in not just the bottom of the nest and not just the middle of the nest, but also the top of the nest, the, the, the suspect hair. Where are made these nests? That it's at the top, middle, and bottom of these nests, and it's very consistent. It's uh, you know, it's got a, it's it's you know, it's just consistent. And so that they all found some of that, uh, some more than others, you know. But uh, there were some very talented uh, people <laughs> that was blown away as how much hair they found. And then there was some completely odd hair that I uh, I had no idea I had not found uh, in any nest. So kudos to those people. That hair that was collected. Each person was given an envelope and a chain of custody thing to fill out. That's going to be sent off to Cindy Dosen, and she's going to do a visual analysis on it. Um, and not DNA. Uh, people don't realize the, the difficulty uh, of pulling DNA out of hair. There's, unless you have a follicle, and even when you have a follicle, they rarely do it. But it, there's no follicles. These, these hairs are a little bit older. Um, but you can visually look at them. And one of the things... Um, with the suspect hair, the hair that we uh, possibly associate with Sasquatch hair, and that is that it, it uh, at least on the female side, it lacks a medulla, the centerpiece. You know, humans have medulla. Uh, it can be broken up, and it can be almost non-existent. Bears have a huge medulla, uh, and other animals have usually have a, a bigger medulla than a human. Um, these hairs don't have one. Uh, and uh, as Cindy described to me, she said that that's usually a sign of the female and, and whatnot a female of a species specifically. So uh, there's no medulla, and I thought that was interesting. And she has other hairs from Washington, Oregon, and I believe California, and maybe, I can't remember, southern state somewhere, but uh, that match within 90-some-odd percent um, the, this, this hair from these nests. And so now you're having, uh, you know, not necessarily a pattern, but you're, you're getting um, corroborating hairs of unknown, possibly hominid primate um, uh, animal or, you know, species. So that's, that's significant. And so it was really cool to have these people collect all this hair. They got to put, get hands-on. Um, they could ask questions. Um, and we can get their feedback. I got some great feedback from individuals with not just questions but ideas. Uh, and so it was, it, for me, it was, man, it was awesome because, uh, you know, there were certain things I just, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a citizen scientist and I want to learn. And there's people that I know with either experience or have academic uh, credentials to back it up uh, that could share stuff with me. And so there was some great banter back and forth on, on ideas, and uh, mo almost everybody there was floored with uh, the presentation. And it's not because – it's because of the material we're working with. You know, I brought back two of the rocks, or the two rocks that had score marks that were found at the point nest at the original nest site uh, that was discovered you know, by this timber guy. And so I brought these rocks back, and I showed them, you know, still got a little bit of score marks on there, but, you know, these softball, a little bit smaller softball-sized rocks, I brought those back so people could say, you know, see that, you know, they do exist, these rocks do, and that they were found at the point nest, and they had score marks on them, and something had smacked them together. There's no doubt about it. And uh, they got to see the uh, the pictures of the, the, the amount of huckleberry and the devastation in this little area or areas, uh, the, you know, how they were snapped off or twisted or broken, uh, all the huckleberry tips. They got to see that, and they got to get pictures of the nests. And uh, you know, I want quite honestly, you never know exactly who your your, your uh, audience is. You know, you, you you have guests there, you um, and clients and whatnot, and you you know maybe they'll be like, oh well, that's this. This is, or or maybe they've seen something similar. And uh, not that we got any of that. Most everybody was kind of uh, flabbergasted. Uh, and really interested in, in trying to figure out, you know, as much as we do, what these are, because they had no idea. 
And so, uh, yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, uh, and then the, um, just the area, how impenetrable it is coming down in from the top, you're not sneaking into this area, like I mentioned before in the show. You're, it's definitely going, whatever this is, is going off the side towards the creek or coming up that direction. And so uh, it's very strategically placed. It's very um, military-like. It's, you know, it's kind of like right, what defensible. the gorillas do. Yeah. Defensible, very much like what uh, gorillas do. And, and other animals, elk kind of set, set up the same sort of way. Um, so very defensible. So, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a really good expedition weekend. And uh, now, initially, um, this, the gentleman that brought it to Derek's attention found three. Uh, found, right. in this area doing what he does for a living, found these three nests, brought it new Derek from like a long time ago, and, but remembered that he was someone who was uh, researched Bigfoot, got a hold of him, took him out there, and then from three nests, uh, it expanded out to like eight nests on this one site. I know that, that you, you, the guys that have gone out there, including yourself, um, have the total nest now find is 21. Is that correct? That's correct, and uh, and I definitely don't think there was 21 Sasquatches. I think these nests right. were built over time. So you know, on each finger, there's a different amount of nests. Maybe they went from finger to finger. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I I, I um, don't have any idea. But I do think my personal opinion, and some others may disagree with me with the OP, or maybe not, but that these nests were uh, some were built at the same time, and others before or after. I don't know. Uh, within months or maybe within years. I, I really don't know. So that's a question that I, I it's in my head as to, to what was going on there and why 21 nests. But I also wanted to mention, Gunnar, real quick, something I mentioned in yeah. the presentation. Nests are not, it's not unprecedented. There have been other suspect, weird, odd-looking nests discovered. I, I, I right. shared just two. There's, there's many, but I, I shared two. I shared one was the um, nest and many of our listeners will probably be, uh, will know what I'm talking about here, but in a book called Raincoast uh, Sasquatch, Robert Alley, I believe is the author, uh, shared pictures of a nest that was discovered on Prince Wales Island, and um, I believe this was back in the 80s. Anyways, uh, the um, nest is, is it, there was only one, 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 one nest, but it was massive. It was uh, constructed very similar. Uh, they put an axe in the center of the nest to show scale, um, it's massive nest, uh, and it's, you know, it's made out of a little bit different stuff. It was, you know, bark and some other stuff, but a lot of it was brought there and this nest was built. And once again, you had, uh, you had a, a, someone involved with timber management, uh, and worked for the forestry, find this nest. Okay. Example number two was, uh, I was listening to Daniel Perez. He, 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 Daniel Perez has done a lot of interviews over, over 20 years with, uh, um, all of the uh, some of the more prominent, well-known, and and sometimes unknown uh, researchers and those involved uh, that have had uh, you know such as you know um, Bob, you know Bob Gimlin and many others. He's done a ton of interviews, and uh, they're really uh, historically awesome because now we got a record of stuff that happened. Well, Daniel Perez, I was listening to a recent interview he did with a, guy, um, a gentleman of the name of Lyle Lafferty, who now lives in Colorado, but Lyle Lafferty. Um, worked for the timber company back in 1967. Um, that, that's uh, a significant year for some reason. Uh, 1967. What was going on in 1967? 
Uh, what was going oh, on? Oh, also, he, would, he, he was in Bluff Creek in 1967. Ah. Oh, what was going on in Bluff Creek in 1967? No idea. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, we got the, the, the Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, Patty. Um, that was filmed in 1967 in Bluff Creek. Well, uh, Daniel Press was interviewing uh, Lyle Lafferty, and, and uh, he worked, you know, forestry, uh, and he was doing timber management. He um, he was. They came across a track line, you know, the Paddy track line, basically, and and uh, uh, that was one thing of significance. The second thing of significance was, and I never heard this anywhere. They had discovered a nest above a creek called Scorpion Creek. Um, on a ridge overlooking the creek, and it was in 1967. Two? Pardon? Scorpion Creek runs into the Bluff Creek. Bluff creek. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know much about this creek, but it's salmon fed or not. I don't know. I'm, I'm planning on looking more into it because it, the, the similarities are uh, uncanny. Um, and supposedly there's some pictures somewhere. Um, I haven't seen any yet, but anyways. There's a second uh, possible nest site associated with Sasquatch. Um, and first of all, Prince of Wales, backing up, Prince of Wales Island has a long history of Sasquatch. Uh, you know, the, you know, a lot of the, the native natives there know, and they, it's not a big deal to them. But so you have two, you now you have two uh, possible, uh, you know, Bigfoot nests, or, or you know, at least suspect nests, a weird nest. The one thing that sticks out in my head, and I mentioned this at, uh, as part of the presentation, was they were. All of every single the nest that the Lone Project is working with, the and these two other nests, um, and there's others, but were all discovered by somebody involved with timber or timber management or timber company, and they were in areas where they had to be. They were marking timber. They were doing timber management. They're looking. They're marking cuts. Most these aren't areas people go to. There's no reason for a person to be in, in, in these areas. I'm. They, they, where these nests are located, as a hunter, I'm not going to be down in this area. Just, it's, it's unhuntable, um, and it's kind of miserable. So I'm not going to be in these areas. These timber guys have to be in these areas. This, to me, is why these nests are rarely found. I think they're rare to begin with, but this is why they're rarely found. Uh, no doubt about it. This is why they're rarely found. They're, they're found by people that have to be in these areas, and they stumble across them. And when they see them, they know they're looking at something weird, and that's why it's noted. It's noted. And so I thought that was an extremely um, uh, important uh, possible important piece of the puzzle, and also an important yeah. topic. Absolutely. Well, the, one of the fascinating things. I mean, what's unique about the the nesting site that the OP is is been um, investigating for now over two years. Um, you may you know you might not notice, or you may notice a lack of. Uh, conversation about it on Facebook, and I know you've heard me say it before, time and time again, that Bigfoot will not be proved on Facebook. But that is also not uh, the process that that uh, the OP is using to analyze this, and and uh, it's it's a, it's a conscious effort to go slow. Um, there's some you know exciting things going on now with this environmental DNA, uh, the process. And um, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum has gotten involved, has been to the site now, um, and uh, Dr. Todd Disotel is uh, got pieces of this nest now that um, that are going to be processed, analyzed for environmental DNA. 
which is significant because you you actually I would, the way that I, I I like to think of it, you can basically sift out what uh, organisms are in that soil. So if you have a raccoon there, you'll get that. You'll get uh, you know if there's a, a cougar in there, you'll get that. Deer and elk. What I mean, uh, and then you you may get something unknown that doesn't fit anything. But this process is expensive, which is something that that uh, is is a uh, challenge for, you know, citizen scientists and and getting these hair, this this uh, soil process, you want to do as many samples as, as possible. And actually to that, uh, that segues right into um, the fact that uh, Dr. Meldrum uh, has started an Indiegogo uh, fund, you know, fund me account for, uh, to help, uh, offset the cost of doing these, and uh, do you know Shane? Do you know off the top of your head how where you can find that Indiegogo? I, yeah, I know that it's on the Olympic page. Yeah, it's on the go Olympic ahead. page. It's also under uh, if you get on the Facebook. If you're on Facebook or uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, he's got it on post on his page. You can find it online if you go into into the Indigo um, website and look up Sasquatch eDNA study. Um, and we'll and, we'll uh, post like, it on our. Yeah, we posted it in the Monster X group and on the Monster X page, um, so website, you can yeah. look it up. And we'll and we'll repost it again because yeah, I, and we'll post I it mean, up if you're, on the if, website. If you're in, the, I mean, there, here's an opportunity. If you have any passing interest in Bigfoot and you want to be part of of helping to solve this mystery, um, get your butt over there and, and kick in a little bit of coin. I mean, uh, members of the Olympic Project, I'm sure Dr. Miller has put in. Uh, and so you know you can sit and and uh, criticize or 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 do nothing or or you can get get over to you know go check it out and and if it's something if you're moved to do so take in whatever you you know feel that that you can't because this is I I I'm excited I I start to get kind of hyped up and talk fast when I think about the possibility <laughs> of what what could come out of this area because there even if it isn't Bigfoot and the the corroborating evidence is pointing more is narrowing it down and it's you know there's uh there's nests there's these nests in the trees there's there's hairs of uh that that match uh when analyzed are matched match there's a lot of there's bigfoot activity historically and currently um in in the area where the nests have been found um, right. I mean, it's there's a that's what's exciting to me. We got a, you know we got a lot of fuzzy pictures. Um, even the best picture that the film, the Patterson Gimlin film, did not uh, uh, prove Bigfoot exists. But uh, we now have. Uh, to me, I think the technology is now kind of caught up. Science is catching up with this project. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't yeah. uh, DNA. The the previous DNA until recently, it was damn hard to get. DNA su- sufficient enough that and not get it contaminated and not you know and and get it processed in the first place. This yeah. this is now environmental DNA um, jumps over some of those hurdles and it's it's exciting that it's actually moving forward. But but it needs to be funded. I mean it's 
it's, it needs to be funded. It, it does need to be funded. All the money that's collected is going right to these studies. The more money, the more money collected, the, the more samples are going to be tested. I mean, that's just a, that's just right. the truth. The more samples are going to be tested, the more you know. Um, you know, I, I wish this stuff was free. I wish uh, that someone you know would come out and go, oh, you know, hey, I'll test the samples, blah blah. But it's not. And this is kind of a new science. So, um, it's 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 a new science. It's cutting edge. Uh, they've been you know, it's, so it's exciting. And for me, it. Uh, the, the possibilities and outcomes from from the environmental DNA studies on the nesting area, you know, it could be phenomenal. It could be amazing. Yeah? And, and, and quite honestly, maybe we, it won't be uh, amazing. But right now, what we are dealing with, and this is what we're dealing with, unknown nests, unknown hair, unknown behavior. We've had bear biologists look at this. We've had a, a primatologist in there. Bear biologists said this is not bear behavior, and I know it's not. Uh, to me, uh, you know, it's not... Uh, well too constructed uh, uh yeah um and um the you know primatologists well that looks like what i would expect to see you know in in uh, you know congo or something you know, or these uh, african areas and so uh, at the end of the day you know where am i leaning well yeah i got i got my ideas and stuff like that you know i and uh so it's it's, it's exciting and so yeah the money all the money collected is going to these to the, the you know study of the eDNA, and they've got plenty of samples. Oh man, they got Derek, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, and myself collected a lot of samples along with James Million. So for more than yeah, for more than one nest. Oh yeah, so for more than one nest. Yeah. Four nests total. Right. Four nests total. There were samples taken, both right. soil um, and limbs, uh, and so there's uh, not a shortage of samples, but there is a shortage is money, and that that's yeah, what's going to need. Yeah, it's a need. challenge. It's a challenge, challenge, but you know that's fate. It is. Fate, they will I mean, be tested. I, I have no doubt yeah. about it. Um, right. You know, um, and I'm, I'm fairly excited about it. I, I you know, uh, I think uh, as Cliff Berkman said at the expedition, this is our, this is probably our best chance, uh, or best chance that's been presented yet. To date, uh, right? You know, exactly. to date, and that's, that's yeah. I'm of the same opinion. You know, if, if someone else, if there was another group or organization. Um, Doing something similar, and I, I personally would donate. I would because I'm, I'm about the subject, and these, right. the, you know, it's not about the alignment project. It's about the, the the study of this nesting area. So anybody else that was working on this, I man, I'd be excited for them because uh, yeah. dealing with something I'm, something unknown. And we've talked about that before. Is that even if it wasn't Bigfoot, and you right. know, there's still that possibility. That's a, there is that possibility. It, right. It's something. It's unprecedented behavior found in in the woods. I mean, yeah. the people that, that know look at it. I mean, Dr. Meldrum, his response was, was, was quite a telling um, from the description of how he described what he saw. So yeah. uh, I'll save that because I know there's some video that will come out eventually from that uh, I don't want to steal Derek's thunder. <laughs> but uh, Oh, yeah. No, you're, uh, you're fine. Yeah, yeah that, pretty, that will be shared at yeah. the Kennewick Conference coming up right. uh, later this later this year. Um, and, and, and whatnot. So there'll be some other stuff shared then. Um, but uh, kind of, we're getting towards the end here, Gunnar. I want to kind of switch gears real quick <laughs> yeah. and just bri- briefly talk about, I know I could talk about the nest all night, but, yeah. you know, uh, Todd and Diane Neese's Beachfoot event that we, we we attended this year and we attend many of them. Um, I wanted to touch upon something because this does kind of correlate with the nesting areas. I finally got to, and we've had this gentleman on our show. He's extremely intelligent. Uh, Dr. Haskell Hart. I finally got to meet Mr. Doctor or Mr. Hart. Um, very nice guy, uh, and his his involvement in the past. He's been uh, somewhat involved with the Melo Ketchum study 
Um, and he shared, he did a presentation, he shared his thoughts and feelings on on what he thought of the, the Milton Ketchum study. Um, and also uh, his thoughts about the future and what is needed. He was above most people's heads, quite honestly, because, you know, he, he he's, you know, he's a, by nature or by his his credentials, you know, he's a, he's a he has a PhD in chemistry, you know, from Harvard. Okay, and uh, has a physical and organic and analytical chemistry research background. I mean, that's guy's an amazing fellow. He knows his stuff. What was cool was he he was very curious about the nesting area, and I asked him, hey, I said, you know, um, he needs good friends with Dr. Todd Distel, and I I have no doubt Dr. Todd Distel is going to do a fantastic job and shouldn't be. Um, um, going to town, I mean, going crazy when he gets this stuff. He's going to do his best to pull whatever he can out. I, I did ask Dr. Dr. Hart, I said, hey, you know, would you be interested in looking at some of this stuff as well as, as um, just another opinion? And he said, sure. He said, I'm not needed. I think Dr. Distel will do a fine job. I said, oh, I don't doubt that. But the more uh, minds, especially those that have been dealing with molecular DNA and, and chemistry and stuff like that, I want, I want involved, and so that was really that was really interesting, and it was awesome. So I, I got him on board to down the road here to look at some of the samples himself and some of the uh, results as well. So that that was exciting. Um, uh, did you have a chance to talk with uh, Dr. Haskell Hart, Gunner? Oh, I did. Yeah, I spent for uh, one of the evenings. I was uh, hanging out, just chitty chatting with him. And I mean, it's it's that's another event. If you can go to Beachfoot, um, you know, you got to get invited. And that there, you do have to pay to go, but it's totally, totally worth it. You get it, uh, you know. I, I don't know what other opportunity. Yeah, we've had uh, Dr. Hart on the show, but but to meet him face to face and just to sit and and, and talk about uh, what he, he's retired now, but what his his expertise in uh, DNA and uh, I found it fascinating. I, I um, the process and and you know, what you actually need to do to to get good uh, analy- DNA analysis and how it can be skewed. And it was, it was fascinating to me. And uh, uh, I had a great time at Beachwood. I, I want to thank uh, Todd and Diane Neese again for, it. you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to do that, put on an event like that year after year. This was the 10th year of, of Beachwood and, um, I think I've been. I think I missed the first three because I didn't even know about them. But, but uh, I, I think I've been now gone to my seventh in a row. Um, I try not to miss them. Uh, mm-hmm. Susan and Jake came down, uh, went with me, and and we had a blast. Uh, I got to meet Kip Morrill, but I'd never, you know, face to face with Kip, and he he is the guy that you see on Facebook. Um, I met also met Self. <laughs> yeah, Kip yeah, Alter yeah. Ego. <laughs> so, but it was a blast. Uh, I can't. You know, I I can't thank Todd and Diane enough, and uh, many, uh, yeah, and they many many they many uh, presentations that uh, yeah no there, they, I mean there, there yeah. was yeah Bob it's, and it's Kathy a totally Green. unique yeah it's a totally unique um, uh, event where mm-hmm. you know that you're camping out and and presentations and you're in a wood in a and you can go bigfoot and out out. Without it's funny because I went into uh, a cafe in town and I was talking. I was wearing a one of my past Beachfoot shirts, and the, the guy who uh, took you know I paid it to register asked me, "Oh, is that got something to do with Bigfoot?" And yeah, well, my big, my girlfriend believes in Bigfoot, and then he's tell goes on to tell me that she had a sighting not too far from where um, 
the event was. So I didn't, uh-huh. you know, I didn't, run, I didn't get out there. It was busy, busy, busy. But uh, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I always think it's like you know they talk about seven degrees from Kevin Bacon. Uh, there's yeah. there's a very similar game you can play with Bigfoot, and uh, it's it's uh, fascinating when people uh, feel comfortable uh, sharing that with people that what'll come out. So it almost almost everybody seems like. Uh, it's very common for people to say, yeah, I know so-and-so, or, you know, they've got somebody they know, or they've had an uh, experience themselves. So, mm-hmm. very cool. This hour's very went cool. quite fast. <laughs> it did, it did. I wanted to do, we got a, just about a minute left here, um, wanted to touch upon once again that Gunnar and I will be uh, hosting um, a Bigfoot Festival in Oregon uh, Saturday, August 19th in Troutdale, uh, which uh, the links are posted um, on our, our Facebook pages at Monster X Radio uh, and also uh, website, and you can look it up, just Bigfoot Festival, or- Oregon Bigfoot Festival. Um, First Cliff one Bergman ever. And- Pardon? First one ever. First one ever, yeah, yeah, first one ever, yeah. and we're fortunate, we're very fortunate to be hosting this event, and, and with that, uh, Cliff Berrickman, of finding Bigfoot fame, animal plants finding Bigfoot, and also uh, one of the top minds in in Bigfoot research, bar none, in my opinion, and a great guy. And he's going nerd. to be and a total <laughs> geek, total Bigfoot yeah. geek. Yeah, he's going to be speaking, yeah. and you got to, you know, uh, there is an additional cost to to um, have kind of a private uh, uh, listen in and sit down with with Cliff. But uh, besides that, Man, the, if you the have not, itself, if, yeah. yeah, if you have not heard Cliff speak and you like Bigfoot, and and Whatever you've seen on Finding Bigfoot, Cliff is ten times the the Bigfoot guy that you see on Finding Bigfoot. I mean, he oh, yeah. he is yeah, uh, genius level guy. Just can talk so intelligently about the subject, and it's kind of mesmerizing as a Bigfoot nerd myself to sit down and and listen to not only you know not just Cliff, but you get an opportunity to don't pass this one up. I think there's still tickets left, but I'd go check it out as soon as possible because. I'm pretty sure that by the time we get to the event, this thing's going to sell out. Uh, just oh, going to be doubt it. a lot of fun stuff going on. Yeah. Well, Gunner, um, we're going to wrap this up. You can take her away. Okay. What? Well, thanks, Shane. I'd like to thank my co-host and uh, good friend Shane for not only for uh, uh, joining us today, but uh, Shane and I, along with a couple of other of our Bigfoot friends, are going to the nest site tomorrow so uh i have not been there before um and i am excited as heck to get up to the next nest site and see what uh not only uh what we've been talking about a lot and and uh but also the process that uh, nature has in place of of recovering um an area because this has now been you know over two years since the uh olympic project has been uh, doing this study, and uh, and it's changed. Um, I've been to a couple other you know, big Bigfoot class places, Ape Canyon and uh, Bluff Creek, and they look nothing like what you know you remember them looking like. And this is o- this has only been two years. But talking to Derek, talking to Shane, these these areas are are quickly being recovered by nature. So um, it'll be exciting to get in there and um, see these nests. Uh, that could have a huge historical uh, uh, impact. And like I said, if you, you got a couple bucks, go uh, 
check it out on our website. Check it out on our, our Facebook pages and uh, kick in a couple co- little bit of coin. Um, and let's let's see what happens with uh, this ED, this environmental DNA study with the nest. Thanks again for joining Monster X today. Uh, for Shane Corson, this is Gunnar Monson. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, everybody.